You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I am so happy that you are here and that we get to spend some time together. This is episode number 373, and I am your host, Noelle Tarr of CoconutsAndKettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. I hope that in this next hour, you will be able to sit back and enjoy a conversation between friends and feel seen and heard as women just trying to do their best in the modern world. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Liz Wolf, who many of you will know was an OG paleo blogger and podcaster. She was actually one of the people who inspired me to become a nutritional therapy practitioner and start helping people through just my own brand and blog. She's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to just about anything. She's the friend I get to lean on when I'm looking to unpack the latest scientific literature or understand new skincare treatments or just manage motherhood challenges. I'm so incredibly thankful for her. And today we're going to bring those discussions that we have to the podcast. <laughs> so today specifically, we're going to be talking about fitness, mindset, and what to prioritize as a working woman or mom or both. We're also going to be unpacking all of the questions you sent in, including postpartum weight loss, non-toxic baby products, raising daughters in a toxic diet culture world, and managing life and sleep when you're stressed and irritable. So I know lots about that. <laughs> Before we dive in, Blue Blocks, which makes the best blue light blocking computer glasses, sleep plus glasses, and red and summer glow light bulbs on the market, I use all of those things, has just launched a line of anti-radiation earphones, laptop mat, and harmonizing sticker. I have it on the back of my a uh, cell phone right now. These are high quality EMF blocking products that block up to 99% of EMFs or electromagnetic fields. So electromagnetic fields are invisible areas of energy, also known as radiation, that are products of electricity. So specifically things like power lines and Wi-Fi and electronic devices. And so here's the deal. Yes, I think there needs to be more research done on the long-term effects. Um, and some people like myself find that they are very sensitive to EMFs in the home. So when we personally started doing more Bluetooth light bulbs and I was wearing my AirPods and all that kind of stuff, I was noticing that I was getting more and more headaches. I was having sleep issues. I was more irritable. So we literally reversed <laughs> and got all regular light bulbs and appliances. I gave up my AirPods, which again, to this day is very hard because it was so great when I was holding a baby, you know, and trying to maybe listen to some music and nurse at the same time or whatever. But it, it's been totally worth it because I've seen a difference in my headache and brain fog and and. And we do turn off our Wi-Fi at night, which is one of those little old timey timers that, you know, is supposed to turn on a light when you're on vacation. That's what we use to turn off or to cut the power on the Wi-Fi every night without having to actually do it manually. So for me, it's helped tremendously. I've been using EMF blocking products from Blue Blocks. 
I think they're the best in terms of quality and effectiveness. I definitely recommend getting a laptop pad, try to get some air tubes, and those harmonizing stickers can really make a difference. Our link is blueblocks.com forward slash wellfed. You'll get 15% off. Just do one big order and get your Sleep Plus glasses and some other things, some accessories, and it'll all make a huge difference in your sleep and your anxiety and just your ability to rest. Again, that's Blue Blocks, so B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash wellfed. Use the code wellfed for 15% off. Now, let me introduce Liz to you. Liz Wolf at Real Food Liz is a nutritional therapy practitioner and author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Eat the Oaks. She developed the eight-week athletic mom program and the baby-making and beyond program. She's mom to two little girls, one born in the hospital and the other at home, and she's passionate about family, food, beauty, fitness, and oversharing. Welcome, Liz. Well, thank you, friend. It's fun to talk this way. I mean, we talk all the time, but not recording on a podcast. I know. We have to watch what we say. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Because we have such, uh, you know, inappropriate, vile, vulgar <laughs> conversations. And, you know, we have to remind ourselves people are listening. Um, so we last time we talked, it was episode number 196. And it was wow. all about, yeah, a long time ago. Long time ago. You only had one kid. It was really about, we kind of discussed the birth of your first child, specifically how to deal with an unexpected birth experience. And you have mm -hmm. since had a second little girl. And, you know, as a friend, I think I've seen you have a much different mindset, but also recovery experience the second time around. So what are some of the things that you did differently in your recovery, whether it was your fitness, which I think we've all witnessed that and, and or just like the expectation that you put on yourself the second time around? This is so good. And I can never answer a question without giving like mass amounts of context. So I apologize for that. But my two births were so different. And I podcasted about this for Liz talks. And I talked about, so my first was, uh, an emergency C-section for a surprise breach. And I couldn't even talk about it for like a very long time. Like you remember that. Mm -hmm. And my second one, I kind of thought I was going to have this redemptive birth, even though I had some problems with that, that whole concept of like the first birth being not enough. And, you know, I kind of felt like that wasn't kind of a kind way to think about it just in reference to my first baby, just like that there was something wrong with her birth. But I did feel like this second birth would be this redemptive experience where I would get the quote unquote real experience of childbirth. The pregnancy was completely different, which I still just kind of marvel at how different the two were. The pregnancy was completely different and the birth was a home birth. So it was a home birth after C-section. And I, the lesson I learned there was just that there, it, that was really hard too. Both births <laughs> were really different and really difficult and, you know, it was painful and it, where I had been looking for this redemptive experience, I think what I learned from that was that birth kind of shows us the the parts of us that maybe sometimes we try to keep buried. And, you know, I try to hide anything ugly or discordant or uncomfortable. Most of the time I'm very uncomfortable with that. And I try to kind of push it down and not feel it and not deal with it. And that home birth, it just laid it all bare, like completely bare. And I think as sort of a, an extension of that, the physical recovery from my second birth, which was 
vaginal, obviously, was actually a lot more grueling than my recovery from my C-section. And all of that, I think the biggest, the biggest change between one to the other, even though I did very different things, but the biggest change from one to the other was the fact that I didn't place any judgment or expectations on any of it after that point. I had my expectations going in, but I learned that no matter what, those are just going to get blown up. Like Mm -hmm. expectations just never, it's great to set goals. It's great to have an idea of the way you want things to go. But in the end, all of my expectations were just kind of blown up. And so I kind of carried that into my recovery from it. It was a difficult physical recovery, but I really just looked at it more with curiosity than with expectation. So feeling like I had to be, my pelvic floor had to be recovered by this point, or even just the like bare physical healing of tears and all of that stuff had to be by this point. And then I could do X, Y, Z by six weeks and then X, Y, Z by 12 weeks and what have you. I really just went into it on a moment by moment basis. The thing that I kept pretty consistent about postpartum with my second was exercise, but I will tell you, it's not because I had some new motivation. It's because in between my first and second babies, I realized that I was a, an Enneagram six and uh, Gretchen Rubin obliger, which was very useful information for me. And I had already set in place a relationship with a personal trainer, which I think we'll talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. I by no means think everybody has access to a personal trainer, whether it's time, financial, whatever it is. But what I knew was that in order to be healthy for the long haul, I wanted to incorporate strength training and uh, metabolic conditioning and all of that stuff. And that I wouldn't be accountable to myself or to my family to be healthy in that way, unless I had somebody basically lording over me and, you know, expecting me to show up. So the fact that I had that in place before my second baby was born, I was pretty consistent about really smart, you know, core and pelvic floor friendly training from before my baby until after. And I think that second baby recovery would have been a lot more difficult if I didn't already have that relationship going because he checked in with me, um, you know, throughout the process and just to give me ideas of things to do, particularly around um, breathing exercises and really simple stuff just to keep things engaged and ke- to keep things sort of trending in the right direction. But he checked in with me. And then when I was ready to go, when I was ready to go, not when he thought I should be ready to go or when the world thought I should be ready to go or when my doctor thought I should be ready to go, that doctor clearance at six weeks, right? It's just Mm -hmm. BS. Mm -hmm. But when I was ready to go, I had, you know, that infrastructure built to go right back into it and start working with some really smart movements around core and pelvic floor health. I saw a pelvic floor physical therapist. That's something my trainer is really big on and all of that. So I feel like I maybe had the infrastructure already in place, but the thing I want to say most of all to folks is just that I didn't look at it with any kind of judgment or expectation. I really just, I knew that what your body does during and after pregnancy and during breastfeeding, it's all adaptations. And I think it's better to observe those adaptations without judgment and not try to manipulate their course by putting Mm. your own timeline on them. Mm. That is so powerful. I think a lot of the times that we are the hardest on ourselves is when we are trying to manage or adapt to other people's expectations or Mm -hmm. whatever 
the world says that we should be doing at a specific time. So like, yes, six weeks, you're you're cleared, you're back, you should be back into it. And if you don't feel that way, well, then you're a loser, you know. Right. Um, and and you gotta that, get a plan together to get right. back to where you're supposed to be. Why, why aren't you motivated? What's going yeah. on? Like, yeah. there's and and I think that for birth in particular, I mean, we've we've really even I, you know on this podcast we've hounded a lot about it can your postpartum like forever one, but also that first year is so important, and you're still like you are still recovering. And physically, mentally, emotionally, you're mm-hmm. not you're not getting sleep. And everybody's story, everybody's trajectory is different because we've all had different births, different traumas, but also different physical and mental and emotional adaptations. We all have different kids, different babies, yes. different trauma with that. So maybe not trauma, but, you know, different situations. Some of us have kids that go into the hospital young and all of that stuff is just really a lot. And so we get really hard and down on ourselves when we're judging where we think we should be based on what the world's expectations based on what some ad says that we should be doing or who we saw on social media, like all those influences really impact how we feel about ourselves when really we're doing nothing wrong by only listening to our body and doing it on our own timeline. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm almost two years postpartum at this point, and I still consider myself like I'm still figuring out that recovery process. Mm -hmm. I have not once thought about, you know, losing baby weight or getting my body back or any of that stuff. It's just, it's a process and it's going to take whatever that means, take as long as it takes. But, you know, you look back and you say, all right, I feel differently. And I, this, you know, I had a lot of, can I, can I talk about my butt? Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. Okay. I had a lot of issues just from the pushing process, like (laughs) rectally, you know, like, and so one of my big milestones was like, am I pooping regular again? You know? Mm -hmm. And that was big. That took like six months. And I was very proactive with the pelvic floor physical therapist, with my doctor and with my trainer, but there was just some damage that we were working through. And like, that was big. It wasn't like, what size pants am I wearing? It was like, am I actually able to go to the bathroom without pain? And Mm -hmm. then, you know, once we worked through that, the next thing was like, wow, I'm getting more sleep. This is great. So observing these little transitions that are going on over the last two years, whether it's been how much we're breastfeeding, how much we're sleeping, how the older kid is doing in relationship with the younger kid. There are plenty of things for us to pay attention to in these first years after a baby is born that have nothing to do with what we look like or size, weight, calories, any of that stuff. I don't worry about that now. I don't worry about it ever, but I surely do not worry about it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. How has your relationship with fitness changed, I would say, maybe in the last decade? So before you had kids, maybe after your first and, and what you're doing now? Yeah, I love this question because this is actually something that I was chatting with my trainer about the other day. And I sound so unrelatable saying I have a trainer, but I think we're going to get into this a little bit more and it's going to make more sense here in a little bit. But one of the things we were talking about was I don't want to waste a single minute because I like working out. I like playing sports. I like working out. I like being active. I like specifically though, I like strength training. I like I like the paces that I am put through to actually progress 
in a linear way in strength and conditioning and mobility and agility and my metabolic response, which sounds like I'm talking about calories. I'm not, I'm talking about everything because exercise like conscientious exercise and movement can promote the health of your entire metabolic system. And that means how easily you package and export toxins, how well everything works, how well you sleep, how refreshed you wake up, all of that. So that's what I want. And I used to do a lot of CrossFit. So when we moved from Kansas City to New Jersey, I did some a lot of CrossFit there before before my husband and I met when I was living in Kansas city, kind of right out of college, I would do a lot of spin, just anything that would crush me. You know, I always felt like if I was crushed, that that was a good workout, but come to realize that anything that crushes you also crushes like your linear progress and your metabolic response. And so rather than whatever movement you're doing, improving your sleep, improving your ability to digest your food, any of that stuff, it would actually hamper it. So you would be so fried and wired that you couldn't, like I couldn't go to sleep or I would be, finally I would reach some kind of level of restful sleep during the night and it would be really hard for me to wake up, that type of thing. And I don't Mm -hmm. want that. I have too much to deal with right now. I want to train smart a few times a week, three times a week in the gym where I'm actually lifting things, moving things, you know, Katie Bowman, who is a biomechanist, she said something that I think is really interesting. She says, exercise is movement out of context. And that's true. So Mm. basically the way I take that is I love my time in the gym. It's some time to sort of disengage from, you know, my life and the things I'm worried about and thinking about and actually sort of feel my muscles doing things that they might not do during the uh, normal course of the day or to prepare my body to do the things that I need to do during the normal course of the day. So whether that's like organizing the garage or picking up two kids and not wanting to throw out my back, all of that stuff. But bringing that movement into context in the real world is also really fun. So I just, gym time for me is just, just fun. It's just a Mm -hmm. good part of life for multiple reasons. So in general, I just don't want to waste any of it. I don't want to do something just because I want to be crushed and burn a ton of calories. I want everything I do to maximize my progress and strength and conditioning and mobility. And again, the metabolic response. So, and that's part of the reason that, you know, we created the program that we'll talk about later. Um, because just like, we don't have time to waste. We really don't. Mm Mm-hmm. What so you say you love it and you have fun in the gym. A lot of yeah. people, a lot of feedback that I get from people is like, I don't like this. I'm not having fun. <laughs> <laughs> like I this is not play. This is not fun. How did you find because I believe like in like I've had pushback on this, but I do believe everybody can have fun doing fitness, moving their body. They just have to figure out what it is that they enjoy. So how did you find the things that were fun for you and important enough. Was it fun for you right in the beginning or did it get fun for you, become more fun for you over time? It it became the most fun when I became aware of this mindset shift that I needed. It's the same thing with food. So years over the years, I always thought I was an all or nothing type of person where it's like, I'm either a hundred percent on a quote unquote diet, or I'm completely off the wagon. So I've got to be fully strict or it doesn't quote work for me, whatever Mm. that means. And the same with exercise, like all in or all out. But I realized over time, as I did more kind of, 
I don't know, as I became interested in some of these personality frameworks, I'd always kind of rejected personality testing because I was like, don't tell me who I am and what I'm like. Don't tell me my motivations. You don't know me. (laughs) But there is a level of utility for some of these frameworks that I learned and that really helped me. And I realized over time that I, I am not an all or nothing person. Mm. Like I, I can actually enjoy something for what it is without having to tack it to, you know, the, the, some overarching plan, quote unquote, or some, you know, aesthetic goal or some, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. So first of all, kind of dis disengaging those two ideas or what you're doing and why you're doing it, pulling those apart. And then just realizing that I can take these really powerful actions, these really fun, interesting things that we can do in the gym and attach those to an entirely different set of reasons and motivations, which Mm -hmm. are fun and showing up and doing something that will literally make me healthier for my family for the long haul. I don't want to pull out my back Like I want to maintain my muscle mass, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So training smartly is a big part of that. And I think I realized also when I was doing CrossFit that the negative part was that I was just crushing myself for the sake of crushing myself. But the positive of it was that I realized that exercising in community and or having someone give you the workout and tell you what to do that was huge for me. I don't like to. I am not a workout expert. I don't know. Like you. Sometimes I remember what a Romanian deadlift is, but most of the time I need to see it if I'm going to do it. And so I need somebody to hand me the workout and talk me through it. And that's obviously not something that's accessible to everybody, but being able to disengage from the planning, the structuring of it, the worrying about what I'm going to do. Cause I would walk into the gym and just be like, I guess I'll just get on the treadmill. Oh, and I hated that. Right. Yeah. So totally agree. Part of it. Yeah. Part of it is just doing stuff that's fun, being in community with people, but also having somebody else plan it for me. And like I said before, actually having a plan that is catered toward my stage of life, toward not wasting any time, toward training my entire system and not crushing me. Mm. So interesting because as you were saying that, I used to think that I was an all or nothing person as well. And I think that's one of the things that diet culture does to us because we're supposed to be on the wagon. And and when we we perceive that we can't stay on the wagon because nobody can, we're like, oh, we're all or nothing. Like either I'm on the wagon or I'm off and I'm binging or I'm, you know, whatever, not working out or it's so we get this perception of ourself based on Again, un- unattainable goals, unattainable, yes. like unrealistic expectations of what it looks like to actually be healthy. And so many people think I can't keep that in the house. Otherwise, I'm just going to like eat 20 of them when yeah. really you you can. It's just losing those rules and restrictions, not putting those self-imposed you know, ideas of ha- how you should be doing it and understanding their perfection is not required, <laughs> you know? Oh, um, Yeah. I think a lot of people like with fitness, I mean, that's that's why I had this love-hate relationship too, was I felt like I had to be doing it perfectly and I had to be pushing myself so hard, right? Mm-hmm. And you said it too. It's like, if the workout's hard, then it's good, right? Then check, I did it. And yeah. that's so unrealistic. And it's it's not 
it's it's hard mentally to gear yourself up like, okay, there's, you know, every once in a while, I will do a hard workout, right? I'll do a high intensity workout. And yeah, you do have to mentally you go you have, for it. Yeah. And you mentally have to kind of prepare yourself for it because you're pushing yourself to a new level of exhaustion. Like that's always difficult. But you don't have to be doing that all the time, much less you don't have to do it if you don't want to. There are other things that you can do. So you don't have to put certain things on a pedestal, nor do you have to be doing that every single time. No, no, definitely not. And I think when you really do allow yourself to enjoy that type of movement, I mean, obviously we want people walking and playing with their kids and, you know, doing all of those little, you know, movement bites, movement in context, just, Mm -hmm. you know, doing the things that human beings are able to do with their bodies. But when you're doing those things in the gym and you get to a point where you're like, this is cool, this is fun. Like I'm learning about my body. I'm building myself up here. There might be days where you're like, let's do a little burner. Like let's have some fun. Let's Mm -hmm. go for it. And that's, that's totally cool. But like you said, it's gotta be a want to. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to like, no, (laughs) no. Yeah. Okay. And I so, didn't like during my pregnancy too, by the way, I should have said this earlier, but like I said, I, I really, really bad at being brief, but with my pregnancy, I worked with my trainer the whole time and I felt good about that, but we did very, very gentle, low key movement. It was also mm-hmm. like mid pandemic lockdown type stuff. And he was coming out and we were basically working out outside socially distanced. So There were a lot of things that worked there that just kind of made that time of my life very strange, but we were doing really gentle movement. We were doing very functional movement, very core and pelvic floor friendly stuff that was appropriate for me. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I had fun with it. I enjoyed that little movement break. And again, it was a want to, it was not like I have to do this. If I didn't want to do that, yes, to a degree, we have to hold ourselves accountable to just moving our bodies a little bit because... It is like, it's, it, I'm, I don't know. I don't want to say like, if you don't want to do it, sit on the couch all day and watch Netflix, but it is important. Like our bodies are amazing. We are made to move mm-hmm. and you know, it's good to find something that speaks to you enough that you want to figure out a way to be accountable to it for yourself and for your family and for the ease in which you move through the world. Yeah. So talk to me about specifics because I know you have your new athletic mom program. So what kind of approach do you recommend for moms who are short on time or maybe lack energy or motivation? Because I think the strong front runner, which we've kind of been discussing a little bit, the underlying belly that we see in the fitness world or just fitness programs in general is get your body back. You know, we're, we're telling women yeah. to always be focused on aesthetics, to get your body back, to get lean. Guys, I did it too. I made a program before I started a blog that was called Get Lean in like 2013 or something mm. like that. Like just so toxic. Like I, I, you know, I was part of that culture. So I, I recognize that as well. But that's what we think women always need to be focused on. And that I think we're just doing a massive disservice to women. So how, how, what are some things maybe that like, what are your recommendations specifically in the program for moms who are short on time and lack the energy? I have always loved coffee, but after having my second, I really wanted to support healthy cortisol rhythms. I was struggling with sleep quality and I started noticing that coffee was actually making me feel anxious. Now, what I miss about caffeine is the nice little pick-me-up and increased focus that I used to experience in the morning. So I started becoming more interested in adaptogens, which are herbs and functional mushrooms that help your body adapt to stress. 
They essentially boost your resistance and tolerance when it comes to emotional and physical stress and provide your body with the support it needs only when it needs it. Research shows adaptogens can actually help balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease anxiety, and support proper hormone function. And after looking at a lot of different ways to supplement with adaptogens, I found a little thing called red juice from Organifi. The more I researched, the more I realized the easiest and the best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. And now I love it. So I drink red juice from Organifi three to four times a week, mostly mid-morning, and it's incredible for energy support and focus. It's basically a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. Cordyceps is one of my favorite functional adaptogens because it boosts energy and immunity and stamina. I call it a mom adaptogen because don't we all need that? And when I am stressed out and not sleeping, I take something called green juice mid-morning and I finish the day with gold chocolate. Uh, The gold chocolate drink has reishi in it and that has helped me so much. So days when I'm a little bit more anxious, I'll have that as like my little after dinner drink, my little uh, dessert, and it's so good. So I've totally fallen in love with Organifi. All of their superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic. They contain high quality ingredients and are free of fillers. And guess what? They actually taste really good. And they just launched a brand new flavor. It's called Organic Green Juice Crisp Apple. So good. Y'all know my love for apples. I would definitely give that one a try. The green juice has just been really great for me for stress support. They have all different types of drinks. So ones that you can drink in the morning, midday, and then evening. Some mix with cold water, some mix with warm water. You can support your body, energy, and immunity and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. So you can experience Organifi's high quality superfood blends without breaking the bank by going to Organifi.com forward slash well-fed. Our code is well-fed for 20% off your order. Again, that's Organifi. So O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash well-fed. Our code is well-fed for 20% off. Yeah, that's a huge one. And the, the paradox is that sometimes movement can give you more energy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like your, you know, your morning coffee, but it's your morning movement and it can kind of pump you up a little bit, but, but oh my gosh, sometimes just dragging yourself out to the point of doing that is like, it's just a, a mount, another mountain to climb, right? Mm-hmm. It's, especially when the kids are, are itty bitty. So, so, okay. I can really only speak to, I'll speak to what we created with athletic mom, just to give an example. And maybe people, if not with the program itself, with our program, they can look for it in other programs. Well, first of all, I would just say, get up and walk around, you know, that's mm-hmm. like it, the simplest, probably the most important thing and be happy with whatever it is that you can give to it on a given day. You know, I think part of the, the stress of feeling like I don't have the time I'm crunched for time. It's the fact that we don't think five minutes is enough and it is enough. It can mm-hmm. certainly be enough if that's all you can give. So sort of what we did with athletic mom was we've got We've got kind of multiple layers and all of it is good enough. So we've got the daily fix, which is like a five to 10 minute, like a movement mobility, start your day, get your circulation going type of thing where you can just get up, 
you don't need any equipment and you just do it. So various things just get you aligned for the day and that can help you feel really good. So you can literally, I've done this multiple times, just gotten out of bed and literally gotten on all fours in the floor and done a daily fix before Mm. I go get the baby out of bed. So we've got that. And then we've got sort of an on-ramp type of scenario where you work on core and pelvic floor connection and breathing, which is just something that I think we just don't think about, right? A lot of us are breathing from our shoulders, you know, or breathing from our, you know, upper abs. And we don't actually ever take in a full breath because there's just so much going on. We're so stressed. So all of that starting with something that small, like five to 15 to 20 minutes a day to just really connect these different parts of your body neurologically and physically get aligned and take some time to breathe. Sometimes that either sets you up for the rest of the day, depending on your stage of life. Sometimes it also gives you the energy and the, um, I don't know, the excitement to fit in other stuff during the course of the day. And maybe that's a walk. Maybe that's playing tennis with your five-year-old, which, you know, you can get quite a bit of movement in chasing down balls. I mean, you can sprint, you can squat, you can pick up, you can throw. All of that stuff is good stuff. And then if you want to, and if it's right for you, we also programmed four days a week of actual workouts that take about 45 minutes. And what I've said multiple times to multiple people is, Whatever you're doing, you don't have to do it all at once. If you're in a place where you can do 20 minutes, then do 20 minutes or do fewer. You know, we have like the supersets, right? Which mm-hmm. I, I'm just now remembering what a superset is, but you've got. So this was a program I basically asked my trainer to put together that we could distribute to people that maybe are you know, looking for the same thing that I was looking for, need the same things that I need to not waste any time to have something programmed for them specifically for the stage of life and the physical challenges of where we're at right now. And if you can do 20 minutes, great. If, you know, it's programmed to do three sets, then do two sets. All of that is good. You know, Mm -hmm. it's removing those expectations and just being curious, like, what can I do today? You know, I might not feel like it, but what if I, you know, just rolled over out of bed and did a couple of hip cars or did some roll-ups or some bird dogs? How would I feel after that? And chances are you'd feel you feel pretty good. So, you know, why not give it a whirl? I'm Googling hip cars. Oh, so good. Controlled articular rotations. It's funny that that's what I can remember. Oh. But I like, I like. Yeah. So that you've probably great. just done them and called them after a different name, but you've got <laughs> neck, hip, el- like all of these things, you literally need like two square feet of space to do it. Yeah. And it, you could do it while you're parenting too. If you're feeling a little funky in your shoulders, you yes. can do the scap cars, you can do the shoulder cars, you can do the hip cars standing, you could do them on all fours. There's a million ways you can go about it. And that's, that's all the stuff that we, that we put in that program because mm-hmm. I don't know, there are just some very, I have felt some very different and increased needs in my body, particularly in my joints and in my lower back since I've become a mom. And until I started training with Nick, I didn't feel like those were actually addressed. And oftentimes I actually felt like they were sort of ignored and expected to just work themselves out, whether that was in like a group fitness environment or a CrossFit environment. So it's been, that's the way we've approached it. And I feel like it's working for people. I love that. I I have a, a very similar like experience from what you kind of just described that just happened to me over the weekend. I it was my birthday last week. My parents usually come in town for that and my husband used that as an 
husband and I use that as an opportunity to get away and do something else. So we went into Georgetown. We got to walk around and just, you know, explore. But I was on my feet a lot more and not in the Mm -hmm. most comfortable shoes. And it definitely like my day gets thrown off if I don't like everybody knows I struggle with chronic pain. And a lot of it really stems from pregnancy. And I got into this hole where it was like Friday. I was a little bit my back was agitated. And Saturday, it got heightened a little bit more. And by Sunday, I was like, oof, I'm off. Like, I would bend Mm -hmm. over to get something, and you would feel that twinge. And it was like, what is that? You know, oh, gosh, it's like coming back. And I want to, like, get it to go away. Monday, I I wanted to sleep good. I got lots of sleep. Monday, I woke up, and I was like, I'm just not feeling good enough to work out. So I, I didn't, even though I hadn't. But it got to a point where at the end of the day on Monday, I was like, now I can tell that this this is tightness and this is like uncomfortableness that I feel in my body and in my hips and in my back. Now I can tell it's from not moving. Mm-hmm. And so I think we learn that about ourselves as we ha- we kind of build this healthy relationship with fitness and physical movement. We learn, wow, this pain is because I'm I need to do my my bird dogs. I need to roll out on the foam roller. I need to be releasing my hips and doing some scapular retractions. I need to get my body moving again and aligned. And sure mm-hmm. enough, I woke up on Tuesday, did all the physical therapy similar to things that you were just mentioning, and it got me energized. I I didn't put any, you know, uh, I, I I wasn't saying to myself, well, you got to do this and then you got to work out. It was just let me see how my body feels after I do the things. I did the mm-hmm. things. And like you said, I was more energized than I was able then to do a lift. And just like that, I mean, you know, snap your fingers. I was like back to normal, which is like, yeah. oh, now I'm not. I feel good. I feel strong. I feel capable. My core's engaged now. My glutes are engaged again. And that pain disappeared. So now it's gone again, which is great. But I, I think there's this delicate balance and this thing we have to learn, what I call like intuitive fitness. We have to be able to learn what our body needs mm-hmm. from the cues that it's giving. And a lot of times it's hard to read until you really do give yourself, you know, like more opportunity for that kind of movement. But yes. it is really powerful once you learn that dynamic. It is. And it's not, it it starts out with just like, do I feel like it or do I not feel like it? And sometimes Mm -hmm. you kind of, you hit it wrong, right? You think you feel like it, you go and it's just not a good hour. You know, you end up, you come out of it feeling a little worse than you went in. And some days you're like, no, I don't feel like it. But what you actually needed was movement to put things back together. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as getting moving. So you send blood flow to the area, you know, which is what foam rolling does, right? Foam rolling basically brings blood flow circulation to whatever area it is. And so, but you got to start somewhere. So maybe it's, you're in that place of, do I feel like it or not? And then you kind of stay curious, like, do you think that was the right decision? How do I feel now? Okay. And then you start putting these pieces together. It's not, and this drives me nuts, but it's not really something you can intellectualize. And my favorite thing is to intellectualize everything and overthink <laughs> right, and right. overprocess. Mm. But really, it's just, it takes the time that it takes. Mm. Yeah. It takes the time that it takes. That's the quote for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we've got some questions from the community. They're all over the place. These are going to be fun. And we, I'm sure we could talk about each one for hours, but we'll just see where it takes us. So the first one is from Viva Gluten Free. She says, Hmm. how do you deal with abdominal separation or diastasis recti after multiple births? Well, I'm sure, Noelle, you have plenty to say about this, just given your background. But 
and this is something I actually reached out to Nick and Britt. Nick and Britt are, Nick is my trainer and then Britt is his wife and she's a Pilates instructor and they're the sort of experts that drive the boat of athletic moms. So I asked them about this as well. And they were, one of the things that they said, proper core activation exercises and breathing, simple breath work. So when we think of core activation, quote unquote, exercises, we're not talking about crunches. We're talking about a whole suite of other things that activate the core properly so that, you know, that gap can work its way back to more appropriate, I don't know, width. I mean, we all have a little diastasis, especially after pregnancy, but the idea is, you know, progress, not perfection. But one of the things that Britt in particular really emphasized was this simple breath work. And this is all the stuff that she put in the core and pelvic floor stuff that we've got, um, that we're building right now. But a lot of this is just movement in context and smart training, stuff like that. Seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist pre and postnatal to support proper pelvic floor connection and sort of assess if you have diastasis and to what degree and what type of exercises are appropriate for you to support the recovery. And I think one thing that also impacts this entire situation is probably and you tell me if you think I'm I'm off base on this, the time between pregnancies and births. Yeah. I had five and a half years between my first birth and my second birth. And during that time, I wasn't doing, well, at least for the first probably two, three years. I started working with my trainer when my first daughter was maybe three, maybe almost four. She's seven now. But I had a lot of time there was when I was not doing any CrossFit or any, you know, training programs or anything like that. We were basically just doing the day-to-day stuff at our farm and uh, walking. So I had a lot of time of doing very sort of movement in context, biomechanically appropriate stuff to allow that to come together in its own time. But I think that the amount of time between my pregnancies probably really enabled that to happen because I think I was almost fully recovered by the time I got pregnant again. Does that make sense? Yeah, like just as on a personal note, and I know this isn't like true for everybody, but I do feel how close my kids are together. Like I, I got pregnant at 13 months postpartum. I had Uh literally done like two workouts. Yeah. And I do feel like this is going to sound like self-loathing, but I do feel like my body got pretty wrecked from the Mm -hmm. second pregnancy because I had not fully recovered. I had not really worked on like, that's why I think I was in such chronic pain, too, was because I had not built back any sort of core strength, any core engagement. And and it my body just suffered. Maverick was bigger. I went 41 mm-hmm. weeks. So I got bigger. Like everything was just really hard on my low back and, and my my abs, my I mean, you know, my abdominal area. And I, th- I mean, I've always thought it's because of the back to back stuff and, and I feel great now. Like, but I, I don't, I feel great. I finally started feeling good at like two and a half years postpartum. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I so think it just takes a time. Benchmark. Yeah. Yeah. It does take time. And I think that's, I don't mean to be discouraging in that way. I just think, right. I think there's something really beautiful about being realistic mm-hmm. and to give yourself whatever time it takes. I mean, certainly don't, go start doing crunches all day long to try and close some gap. That's, there's not, there's not a a fix like that. It really has to do with natural movement, um, 
And one of the things that Nick and Britt harp on all the time is the many layers of like core musculature that you're dealing with. You're not just dealing with these, you know, quote unquote abs right in front here right. that are that run up and down the uh, the, the um, diastasis. You've got like all kinds of musculature in there. And for me personally, I couldn't even feel my lower abdominals until like three years after my C-section. So depending on how you gave birth, what the pregnancy was like, like so many different things, your journey is going to be different. It's going to be a different length. It's going to require different inputs and just remaining curious about that and as proactive as you can be. And just as with everything, removing all judgment from the process. Yeah. Diastasis. I said diastasis. I've been saying oh, that. I always say it wrong. I, oh, well, <laughs> I was going to take your word for it because I feel I like you're right. I think it's either one. I think we're okay, good either apples, way. Tomatoes, I'm going to say diastasis because it's, oh, I yeah. think I just trust you more on that. Um, I you know, this is where a pelvic floor phys. The only thing I will add is this is where a pelvic floor physical therapist comes in such in handy. Uh, is mm -hmm. so valuable because what they will do is teach you how to properly engage your core. You know, personal trainers all over the world will give you nice cues like suck your belly button to your tummy, which is like a horrible cue, or oh, you Lord. know, always keep your abs tense. And that's just not the way that it works. And doing that can actually put a lot of pressure on your internal you know, organs and all that kind of stuff. You need to learn how to properly, it's hard to explain, but you need, it's great. You can definitely see it in videos, but it's, you need to be able to, when you're doing specific movements, be able to engage your core properly. So that peak doesn't happen. If you look down at your stomach, mm -hmm. say you're like, do, you are doing a crunch or you're, you're just lifting your neck off of the floor. You'll be able to look down and you can see that kind of pooch happening that, um, the coning, looks like, the coning. Yes. Like, yeah. a, like it looks like yeah. a little mountain. And you can actually shift and change as you get stronger, this becomes easier to do, but you can shift and change so that 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 um, cone is not happening. And you're you're basically kind of bringing your muscles together as opposed to like pushing them out. A lot of times when we think of engagement, we're like thinking about tightening, whereas really it's actually engagement and it's like bringing mm -hmm. the muscles together. So, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. else, too? I, before I forget this, I'm going to say it because yes. you know how I just things fall out of my head. Yeah. One of the things that I'm also really grateful that I found Nick and Britt is that they've talked to me about like managing intra-abdominal pressures, number one. So your pressure on your pelvic floor, the pressure within your abdominals. Mm. And then another thing has been like really, oh, what's the word? Shoot. It totally fell out of my head now. Not just the intra-abdominal pressures, but okay, you talk and I'm going to come back to it because now I just forgot what I was going to say. See how well, things fall out of my head? This happens all the time. <laughs> no, I was going to say that too. Like I, I've learned a lot about that too. I actually have learned too about Thinking about engaging whatever muscle it is that you're trying to engage. So if you're doing a reverse lunge, for example, don't just think about oh, trying to push myself through it. You've actually got to think yeah. about properly engaging your core. So bringing those muscles together. Think about your glutes. Think about driving mm -hmm. up and using your glute to drive you up because glute activation is another thing that a lot of people struggle with, myself included. I have even to like two years ago, I was seriously struggling with this. And I think that that caused a lot of chronic back pain for me. And so now when mm -hmm. I'm doing movements, even if it's a squat, I am thinking about engaging my glutes and they do engage. It's 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 your mind controls your muscles. And so you think about what you it's not just doing the movement, it's doing it properly. So that's yes. Yeah. What it comes down to. And that's where I feel like that's where just smart training comes in. And I don't want to harp on this because it's not what I came here today, but the whole 
It's been so life-changing to have a professional in my corner that knows all of this and that can mm-hmm. view all of it in context, that can pull together elements of pelvic floor health and core activation and breathing and actually just looking at me as an individual and bringing it all together. And that's, I mean, that's why Athletic Mom exists. It's because I had these professionals and they need to be like, I was like, you need to be working with people all around the world who need the same things that I need. And, you know, there's only so many people you can work with one-on-one during the course of a day, just hour after hour after hour. So it was like, we have to put this in a program where we can help people navigate these things that I had to navigate, whether it was figuring out a new way of looking at fitness or managing intra-abdominal pressures, or like you're talking about glute activation, that benefits your lower back pain, all of these things, all of these tiny things, like we all need a professional in our corner. It's just like, just like we need a pelvic floor physical therapist Mm -hmm. and a great birth professional and a wonderful doula. Like this is part of building the community around ourselves where we can pull from all of these different experts to make our lives better. I think sometimes people just feel like they're floundering and they don't know what else to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so this is another big topic. This is from Tersh6. She said, any advice on postpartum weight loss? Oh, <laughs> that's such a hard question. And I don't know, you know, the context from which it comes. I do think it's important that we acknowledge that there are people out there that find themselves in scenarios where losing a little bit of body weight might correlate with an improvement in overall health. Like that's a thing, but it is certainly not a thing to the degree that we have seen it in diet culture and modern life over my entire lifetime. So I'm going to speak to this as if it's for this person, it's actually not a thing because for most of us, it doesn't need to be a thing. All I can say is do what's best for your body on a, on a wellness level. So movement, so you get that circulation moving, which will enhance your body's ability to heal postpartum movement so that you maintain muscle mass, which also involves, you know, eating enough protein, that type of thing. And if you maintain your muscle mass, then you're actually setting the stage to be healthy for the long haul for your family and hopefully not getting injured doing some random everyday thing and have to check out of life for two weeks and figure that out. I don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a great support system, but I need to be well as well as I possibly can be not well compared to anybody else. Well compared to me. So my advice on postpartum weight loss is to just not think about it, do what's right for your body from a health perspective and allow the chips to fall where they may. That's how I handle it. And that's how I would advise anybody else to handle it. If you are active and follow a whole foods diet, you need to be thinking about electrolyte replacement. Take it from me, who did not consider electrolytes for a very long time. Don't make the mistake I did. So here's the deal. You lose electrolytes when you sweat, like when you're working out, even when you're doing things like going into a sauna and when you go to the bathroom. These electrolytes have to be replaced through your diet or through supplementation. And if you're following a whole foods diet, which is naturally low in sodium, you can actually be chronically deficient in electrolytes. And even if you salt your foods, it may still not be enough if you are working out and sweating 
regularly. So this can show up as, or a deficiency can show up as dizziness, muscle cramps, headaches, fatigue, seeing stars when you stand up, sleep disturbances, especially on workout days, which was my experience. Electrolytes are important because water absorption in your body is dependent upon the absorption of key electrolytes like sodium and magnesium and potassium. And if you are guzzling water throughout the day or you find yourself super thirsty, you can actually be flushing out your electrolytes and you may actually be in need of electrolytes, not more water. Element makes grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplementation. You just take an Element recharge packet, tear it open, mix it with water, and sip on it. There is no sugar, gluten fillers, artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. I've been using Element regularly on workout days and it has made such a difference for me in the last year. I don't feel so thirsty or empty throughout the day. I don't have that dizziness I used to when I go from sitting to standing post-workout. And just as a tip, when you're drinking it, mix it in about 16 ounces of water. And then if it starts to get a little salty at the end, just add a bit more water and stir and sip on it as needed, which is what I do. I always, It's called second drink. <laughs> That's what I do throughout the day while I'm sipping on it. So grab a free sample pack of Element by going to drinklmnt.com forward slash well-fed. All you have to do is pay for shipping. So it's a box of eight. Again, that's drink, so D-R-I-N-K, elementlmnt.com forward slash well-fed. You can click on get yours. And if you have already bought yourself some boxes, use that link to buy three boxes and get one free, which is what we do. Right. And it's going to take longer than you think for your body to come to a new set point or to a new place where Mm -hmm. you're kind of like, I think we all want to get to a place where our body exists happily. We feel good. We have energy. We can do the things that we want to do, but we're not seeing it. I mean, little fluctuations are normal, but we're not seeing huge fluctuations. We're not, you know, so many women restrict you know, lose weight and then end up gaining it back because their body's trying to get back to this sort of set point that it's happy yes. with. And society keeps fighting. We're, we're basically fighting society's expectations by trying to get away from that, that set point because it's not, in quotations, ideal. It's not, you know, thin or super lean or whatever. And so I feel like there's one side of this coin where we're always fighting our bodies, which are actually in a healthy place to lose Mm -hmm. weight so that we can fit other people's expectations, or you can choose to pursue health and do what's right for you and And move on with your life and move on with your life. And and you can have, you have that choice and it's, you know, I don't want to disappoint people, but it's, it's something that I still have to navigate on a regular basis, like different stages of my life, like currently, you know, I'm at a like, OK, almost two and a half years postpartum. I had two kids back to back. I'm finally starting to feel good. I'm working out more. And in the back of my head, I've always told myself if you're when you're working out four days a week, you know, your body's just going to come back. It's going, you know, you're like my boobs got wrecked, y'all. They're 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 hanging <laughs> low. They're just, it's, you know, and I was always thinking, oh, well, they'll they'll like kind of like like I'll lose a little bit of that, you know. And so I always kind of told myself when you're back to doing the things and you're working out four days a week and you're feeling good and you're sleeping again, like it'll all shake out and it's shaken out and that's great. But I will be honest, like I have like I'm sitting in my closet right now. I have a dress right here that I brought bought brand new and it's gorgeous. I was going to wear it to this, you know, D.C. event that's coming up. 
And it's still really tight on my boobs. And I remember Mm -hmm. buying it and thinking, well, this is beautiful, but my boobs will shrink. So, like, I'll be good because I was breastfeeding at the time. And, guys, my boobs really haven't shrunk that much. So um, it's it's a hard reality. And it's it's affected me emotionally for the past few days of, like, do I intentionally try to fit into this dress that I bought and like beat myself up about that? Or do I continue on? Like I have two, we always have two roads that we can pursue. And when we're beating ourselves up or we're feeling bad or we're thinking we had different expectations for what our body should look like or whatever Mm -hmm. postpartum, we have the, we can say, okay, we're just going to continue to pursue health. I'm going to continue to choose to do the workouts that I enjoy and nourish my body and buy a new dress (laughs) or like I can go down this road of beating myself up and trying to okay well what's the plan I'm going to cut out more things maybe I should experiment with intermittent fasting look whatever (laughs) and I can kind of be miserable and maybe lose five pounds or ten pounds and that may come back a little bit but that's going to drastically impact my mental emotional physical health how present I am with my kids how much time I'm spending thinking about that versus what my work and what I'm doing and so I think we always have these we're never going to get away from I just think it's it's a it's a byproduct of living in this culture we are always going to be confronted with what we're not and so we have to be able to say Am I going to pursue trying to be that to fit the, fit what other people want me to be? Or am I going to stay rooted in what I know to be true, pursue health and do what's best for me and my body and my life? And it's you have to just be able to kind of work through that and unravel some of those unfortunate, you know, I think lies, but constructs, narratives and replace them with ones that we know that, you know, to be true. Something so. that's really helped me along those lines are realizing that to feel anguish and to be confused and to be exasperated and disappointment, that's human. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's just human. And I think placing judgment on where I'm at at any given time is what really turns things dark. So feeling like, oh, I'm disappointed, but I'm not supposed to feel that way. I should feel like I just want to do what's right for my body and move on. Or, oh, I'm disappointed in this, but I need to look at the bright side or whatever it is. No, you can be in those feelings for a little while. Just Mm -hmm. expect yourself, expect better for yourself, right? Expect that you can be in those feelings, just like we say to our children, like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset and move through it versus like trying to like bat it away and be like, I'm I'm really upset, but don't, don't, I'm just going to, you know, think about it differently. And there's a balance there, of course, but you can be in those feelings, feel them, and then move on. You can, you know, I, I will say after my second daughter, my body is just different. It's just proportioned a little bit differently. And I have so many clothes. And one of the things that was floating through my head was like, man, I really don't want to buy all new clothes. And then I was like, okay, realistically, you don't wear any of these clothes. So buy a new pair of leggings and move on. <laughs> So I laugh at that. It's still like there are dresses that I really want to wear. I'm going to a thing in a couple of weeks and I'm not really sure if I have anything that's going to fit. Well, we'll see. I I don't know. And the other thing that I would like to say is we judge ourselves for enough things Mm -hmm. and judging ourselves for what we look like postpartum, whether you're breastfeeding or not, is a kind of a waste of time. And I think we all deserve better. And we also, we have some other questions coming up about how to represent 
um, body positivity, I think, or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, not succumbing to diet culture to our children. And I think that starts really, really early. So if you can learn to sort of navigate these things with grace, not, you know, feeling like you have to block out any one feeling or that you have to go down any one path, but rather navigate things with curiosity and grace. I think that probably is a good, you know, exercise for the future. Yeah. So we'll do the um, non-toxic baby products and we can jump into the okay. the daughter stuff. Okay. So at, and son, you know, uh, at Charlie underscore Jean says, what are some good brands for non-toxic and non-plastic baby products? So bottles, bath products, et cetera. Oh man, I've been less, I I haven't been great about keeping up with all the new stuff because I still have a lot of stuff from my first, which was seven years ago. And apparently the entire world of non-toxic baby products has exploded since then. Yeah. So I know that Pura bottles, P-U-R-A, not bottles, but Pura, like water bottles are really good. It's like stainless steel and silicone. And I don't know that silicone is perfect, but it's better than plastic. And I don't know, we do a lot of glass. And what's that brand that does glass, but wrapped in silicone, so it's break resistant? Mm. I, I had them, but you called. know what? Those bottles were very, very basic and they did not uh-huh. work for me. I know exactly mm. what you're talking about and I had to sell mm-hmm. them. Do you know? So I, I agree with you. Like, even though I had a baby two and a half years ago, I was astounded at what has changed. All like Tommy Tippy is a really great natural bottle and they make glass bottles now. So wow. like that was the bottle, the plastic bottles that I had to try to get my my kids to take bottles and like they're making glass bottles. So it's a lot of people and then Comato or whatever that brand is, they make silicone mm-hmm. ones. So like so much is available now. Anytime you're looking for something, look for glass and look for silicone and that'll get you pretty far. And so mm-hmm. much is available now. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, even like really think about that too one of the things that i did do an interview with um a doctor who has a hisma she's the founder of a hisma she does all stainless steel din- dinnerware but i think the best thing that you can do in terms of like prioritizing is the glass bottles but also what you're using for utensils to for like first foods for baby so the silicone the stainless steel the glass you know thoughtful glass it has to be wrapped in silicone i think that that's the best place to start mm-hmm. i mean I want to say that I never use plastic, but we also have to use plastic at certain points um, just to get certain products, whether it's shampoo or conditioner or whatever. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this one is from ajon 33 She says, how to raise girls to not succumb to diet culture and have a positive body image. Very related. This one's from Jane. She says, my question for both of you is about raising girls in a world with a healthy mindset as we mothers try to work on our own issues. I don't ever want my girls, preteen and a kindergartner, to ever feel that pressure of perfection and body image. I'd like to encourage a healthy lifestyle and eating, but I also don't want to scare them or judge other people's choices. I have a family history of heart disease and diabetes, and my husband's family has a history of cancer. We both lost one parent recently. I just started my own wellness journey to deal with my issues, digestive SIBO, and I hate my girls seeing me refrain from certain foods, aka diet. Thank you. I'm so thankful for all the information and encouragement you all provide. These are so, this is so hard because I always thought, you know, I'll just represent, you know, what I want my daughters to see and hopefully my actions, what I do will sort of 
you know, inform how they feel about themselves. But it doesn't exactly work that way. I'm learning. <laughs> so unless I want to homeschool, never let my children out of the yard and never let them have any friends with parents and mm. sisters and brothers, then this is a really, really tough thing. And I suspect it requires more of a proactive approach than I have taken. And it's funny because I feel like, you know, they're little until they're like five. And then six is kind of a transitional year. And now my daughter is seven. So at the end of six and turning seven was when, you know, it was also her first year in like a real school because we homeschooled for kindergarten. And she would come home saying things that I was, I, I just had this extremely just disconcerting realization that her peers are becoming a very, very important and major source of her her building of her identity mm. right now or her relationship to others. And it's something I'm struggling with. And I'm reading a, a book and I can't remember the title of it, but it talks about like the vertical versus horizontal transmission of culture. It's very interesting. I don't agree with everything in the book, but this idea of how it used to be that like family culture was, I guess it would be I don't know if it's horizontal, but it's like things like this would be transmitted across families, across the generations. So values and, um, you know, just things that you think and how you interact as a family would be passed down, you know, across the family, across generations. Whereas now peers become important to kids at a very, very young age. And so the transmission of culture, I guess you would say is more I don't know, that might be horizontal and that other one might be vertical, but the transmission mm. of culture through peer groups is becoming much more powerful over time, particularly at this time in history. So it is something that's difficult for me. And I have a sort of, I don't know if this is a good example or not, but I just wrote on my Instagram about my journey with giving up caffeine. So I realized that some sort of unsettling symptoms that I was having that made me very uncomfortable were all traceable to caffeine. So I not only gave up coffee and kombucha, which, you know, isn't that big of a deal, but I also gave up chocolate and chocolate was like, you know, my jam, dessert, chocolate, chocolate, ice cream, chocolate, cake, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate anytime I could get it. And so I always kind of felt like, you know, I was portraying a pretty healthy relationship with food with my daughter. Like we would try and just appreciate the bounty of the earth and all the amazing things that the earth provides to <laughs> the us. Bounty and, you of know, the earth. Yeah. I love the it. The bounty of the earth, the, the chocolate meat and the vegetables. Yeah. Oh, da, da, da. And then we would enjoy chocolate or ice cream and we were never, you know, real, strict about treats or anything like that for, you know, when they're little and they're kind of under your control all the time and they don't know any different, we're doing a lot of healthy stuff. But then once she was kind of out into the world, we don't have any medical reason to be careful about things like that. And so, you know, a well-placed treat or even a not well-placed treat was fine with us now and then. But now, you know, I have to say like, I don't eat chocolate or I don't eat because I don't like ice cream unless it's chocolate. So I don't really eat ice cream anymore. It's very, very mm -hmm. sad. But it's just not worth it to me to to feel those symptoms. They were life limiting. And, you know, maybe I'll work out what the cause was, but I also don't want to be preoccupied with that. So I just don't drink coffee and don't eat chocolate anymore. But my daughter notices like mom doesn't eat ice cream anymore. Oh, yeah, mom doesn't eat chocolate. And I worry sometimes that she's going to think at some point in her life, she's going to start thinking about it as if I were on a diet or something like mm. that. So I have been, every time we talk about it, I'll say, you know, it just doesn't make me feel good. It's such a bummer because I love chocolate. Mm. So, you know, maybe next time we'll make a vanilla cake or maybe I'll, you know, we'll, we'll go to the store and we'll get some 
fruity popsicles or whatever it is. So I don't know the best way to handle this. And I would love to talk to somebody that has some really amazing suggestions, but, Mm -hmm. and maybe this isn't great, but I do actually make a point to have, you know, some treats here and there. And sometimes I say, no, you've already had a ton of sugar today. And, you know, my daughter's had some cavities. And so I think it's okay to connect, you know, too much sugar with, you know, with cavities or, you know, too little sleep with feeling tired. You know, these are things that are just true, you know? So I don't think that's a bad thing, but harping on it too much and making children feel afraid of their food is probably, you know, something that you need to, to be cognizant of and look out for. But I'm open to any counsel on this topic because it is, it's really tough when you realize the effect that just being out in the world has on them. They pick things up from their peers and from their peers, brothers and sisters and from their peers, parents. Mm. So it's rough. It's rough. It is. I think you cannot underestimate, though, the safety that you are as the mom and mm. who, and who you are at home. So if, yeah. you know, we send our little birds out into the world and they see all these scary things and they hear these things. But if you can remain at home and this is kind of been my approach is, you know, at home, she can bring it to me and we can discuss it and we can reframe it and we can talk through it and we can say, mm-hmm. well, some people think like this, but that's not true. And here's why or here's here's a different reality. You know, maybe I won't use that that big of words, but here's <laughs> alternate reality. Yeah. Here's a different narrative. Um, that's the simulation. This is your. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but if she as long as you're your girls and and even your boys, you have to think about this too with your sons. They're seeing your relationship with your body, and that's it, it's a positive one. They're hearing positive things, and you, and we're you know we're talking about being strong and food making you strong. And my my daughter just started gymnastics, so you know I've had to have small conversations about like let's not have another one of those because we're about to go to gymnastics and you're going to be flipping upside down. So that may not make you feel all that well. You know, I make sure to like give context to food impacting maybe little things about how she feels in gymnastics class or whatever. And or, you know, and I do say no when she asks for snacks sometimes because I want her to I'm like, hey, we're about to have dinner. Like, let's just pause and then we'll eat some of that with dinner. It, it's it's just intentionally not using language and not talking down about yourself, not talking bad about your body. That's not noble. It's not noble. It's not helping anybody else. It's not helping you. So stop, you know, don't be talking negative about your body. Don't be talking about negative about, you know, I've got to work this off in the morning or I just hate Mm -hmm. the way my arms look in this. Like those little comments are really powerful and build your daughter's foundation and even your son's foundation about how women should view their bodies. So I think that if you are really being intentional and just letting your daughter see how you interact with your own body and see how you interact with food like that's perfect you know i don't she, my daughter offered me fruit snacks yesterday i really don't like fruit snacks and i was like ah, i don't want any she's like are you sure mommy like i felt bad in the moment but i was also like yeah you know what kid i just don't like fruit snacks like i just don't like them but maybe yeah. we can i can have something else so it's just very realistic conversations about you know, it's just cool. It's totally fine. You can have some, but I don't want some. And also not freaking out like, gosh, I'm really trying hard not to freak out about and I'm and I'm not. But like mm. the stuff that they give her at preschool sometimes, I'm like, 
Really? And so like, I have why? to, yeah, why, why did we need to do that? Why did we ha- have to give the, all the kids full cupcakes and M&Ms and then you send yeah. them home to me? Like, come on. But also, I don't want her. She's like, Mommy, I really liked that cupcake. I'm like, good. <laughs> I am so glad. And then, you know, I turn to my husband. And I'm like, dang it. Like, yeah. why? But, you know, she's again, she does. She's not reacting to it. She's learning to have like a, a good experience with food. How damaging would it be if I said, oh, well, hope you enjoyed it because that's the last time you're going to see that. Or, oh, I wish you didn't have that cupcake. Well, Those why? so bad yeah. for your body. Yeah, this is not yeah. good for you, Stella. Like, that, cr- that's, starting, that's starting the process of a negative relationship yeah. with food and yeah. desserts and that sort of thing. So I love that. That totally inspired me just now because I had a conversation with my seven-year-old the other day where oh, I can't remember what we were talking about, but she it, it was an idea that popped into her head where she was like, so if that's bad for so-and-so's body, is that bad for my body? Is my body going to be unhealthy now? And it was nothing that I had told her. It was something that she had picked up from somewhere else. And what you just said made me think about the fact that in general, I tried to talk about things in a positive light. Like I really want to make sure you get your protein today because it really helps your muscles be strong for soccer versus like, I don't want you to eat that cupcake because it's bad for your teeth, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. And I know Mm -hmm. I said just a second ago, like, Sugar and cavities, that's a reality and that's true. But at the same time, I think I do need to be careful about making her feel like something she's done is going to break her body. You know what I mean? Mm, So rather focus on what certain things can do that is positive versus what other things do that is negative. So I'll be more accountable for that. I love that. So uh, this one, (laughs) the last one will be our our fun one, but this is how to keep um, from HN. Blas. I'll just say that. HN Blas. How to keep uh, stress at bay and not let irritability seep into my convo with kids at the end of the day. I feel very convicted about this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is such a good question. Which, by the way, yeah. can we do the vegan question too? Because I actually saw something the other day that, that might be helpful. So I wanted to like yes. answer that. Okay. So we'll do okay. that one too. And it'll be okay. really fast. So the stress at bay thing, I'm struggling with this too, but the most powerful thing I have figured out is just to not talk <laughs> like for a, for a few seconds. Like there's so many things that could come mm-hmm. out of my mouth that I feel justified in saying, and I can be as a human being, passive aggressive and vindictive. And I have seen that come out towards my children. And I do not like that. So the best tactic I have is just literally sometimes pinching my lips shut. So I will not speak unkind words for at least a few moments so I can take a beat and just not allow that to happen. And sometimes I also pretend I'm somebody else, somebody that is nice (laughs) and says nice things at the end of the day. So it is a complex and probably somewhat schizophrenic cascade of mental gymnastics that I do at the end of the day to manage this. Mm. And for the most part, that's all I can offer other than solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer is helpful in those moments. I (laughs) I just feel I, I agree with you. You have to just sort of stop. I, I can become like when I get really irritable and I'm just ticked off at a bunch of things, like I get almost like, I don't know what the word is, like self-righteous, like I deserve to be, you know, left alone and you, how dare you and stuff like, and it just, you know what I do for you all day long. Yes. And that's just not helpful. And it's not like, 
let your two-year-old be two, you know, it's, it's just, they're, they're, they're still going to be two is, is no matter how bad of a day. And, and, and it's not their fault. So I always have no. to remind myself like, this is developmentally inappropriate. They're not, they don't have ill intent. Maybe sometimes they do. Maybe when Maverick slaps Stella, like that's ill intent, but it's normal. It's normal to, to have those, for them to be having those reactions. I have to tell myself that a lot. Like, this is normal behavior. They are just yeah. kids. They want to connect with me. Maybe they want my attention. Like, what's actually going to help the situation? And it's and it's normal for yeah. us to be like about to lose our freaking minds. Like that's mm-hmm. that's normal too. It's not like I should be a better mom. If I was a better mom, I wouldn't feel this way. No, it is very normal to be triggered and irritable and all of that. But just think of it as good practice right now for when they're sixteen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't. I, I nah, think I about that a lot. Okay. At Liz under Underworld under Vegan, how does one juggle being the sole parent, working full time, and meeting a man? It's really tough. Is this the question you're talking about? Yes. This is okay. the question. So I don't actually know how to answer that question other than I follow like three celebrities and I have no idea how they ended up in my Instagram feed, but Ashley Rosenbaum from The Bachelor, which I don't even watch, but a million years ago, I just, okay. I followed her because I like that they like worked out as a couple, but now they're getting divorced. So anyway, but I noticed she came through my feed the other day with a single parent dating app. So I just, that, that popped into my head. So I'm going to open my Instagram. I'm sorry if this is a real, so I'm sorry if it makes noise. I don't think it will, but I'm going to pull the name of this dating app here. Got it. Okay. She says, happy national single parent day. And the app is at stir.app. Hmm. I know nothing about it, but it came across my feed and I thought maybe I would, it's a dating app for single parents. So as far as juggling the rest of it, I don't know, but I'm told that the kids are meeting people on apps these days. So I thought maybe mm-hmm. that would help. But also watch Tinder Swindler on Netflix so that you know what to look out for. So you don't get scammed by people who are trying to date you, but then take your money. That's you. Yeah. Okay. So last one. This is from Annie uh, Riley. Uh, okay. What do you, is her name? Annie Riley? Riley. Uh, Riley. Riley. Yeah. Okay. What do you think of Teresa and Louie? I love you so much, Annie, for asking this question. So <laughs> Teresa and Louie from Real Housewives of New Jersey what do I think of Teresa and Louie? I think that they both are a little bit too addicted to facial filler. <laughs> so that's number one, but that's not actually what you're asking. Does Louie get filler? Can it, See, it, I can't it pick really up on that. Like it, to me. It, it looks, but I don't know. I shouldn't assume, yeah. but I know, we've at least seen Teresa over the course of the last 10 years and she definitely right. does. Yeah. So there's that, but I don't know. I'm reserving judgment right now because I do think, you know, people bring in fake dramas for the show and they might be really grasping, you know, at, at Louie to try and make him look bad, but it's, I, I don't know what to think, but I'm, I'm slightly intrigued, especially with the saxophone player that he brought in to their one year anniversary <laughs> date. And it was just right. so Kenny, whatever his name is, not Kenny Loggins, Kenny, Kenny G. Kenny G, yes. Maybe with the sax. Yes. So I don't know, but it's it's interesting enough, right? I'm glad mm-hmm. she still has a storyline now that she's, you know, gone oh, through what totally. she's been through. So yeah, yeah, I am 
I am team Teresa and Louie. I want, I believe in Louie. I, I want him to I be a good guy. It. I Well, I'm impressed at his ability to unpack his emotions. I think he's obviously has some sort of history or past. It's a little mm-hmm. bit sketchy, but people can change as long as, you know, like, of course, there's always rumors that pop up with on these shows. And I think it's really interesting watching Real Housewives and stuff like this from the perspective of that. Like, what's, what's a fake storyline that's trying to be brought in? What's a rumor? that's trying to make this more entertaining. Yeah, um, like what's Melissa just... Gorga and Baby Number 4. Like oh, that gosh, last yeah. season. Right. That was not a thing. Right, right. And and also just what's what's just the internet, being the internet. Right. And so I want to believe that I I think Louie is, is a good enough guy in the fact that he's willing to take some of that on, to have the discussion, to sit down and be open. Of course, some of his tactics aren't that great but it's you you, this is a a reality show but i think that in the end like if they're happy and like i cool great there's there's not a lot he'd be able to get away with being on a reality show at this point so that's some accountability and you know who i love right now is gia yeah me too so emotionally intelligent yeah she's very mature yeah yeah so terry dubrow does he have filler is that what he got in all his, his cheeks he had to have, right? It's bad. But I don't think Heather has had any, has she? Of I, course she has. I mean, she has had to have something, but she looks so natural. And then for yeah. him to have these like like big chipmunk looking, I don't know. Like it just his cheeks are definitely larger in size than in previous seasons. You know, so I'm gonna do a whole podcast on filler at some point soon because I'm so fascinated and there's so many different types and this idea that it dissolves, you know, and just kind of goes away after a while versus what I'm hearing now from a couple different sources where that certain types actually just recede into the tissues because there's a limit to how much your body can metabolize. Oh my so gosh. I've, yeah, I've got, so Amanda Torres, who does a ton of research on my behalf is looking into this and I'm going to try and do a whole show on filler. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by that. I didn't realize that it just like your body stops metabolizing it. But also what's the impact of your body having to metabolize all of that too? Right. And does it, you know, can it affect lymph flow? Like Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of questions that I think are kind of worth, worth a look now that it's, I mean, every Kylie Jenner, everybody's doing it. Not, you know, this is not in the over 40s crowd, which I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost 40, but it's not just over 40s anymore. It's everybody. Well, thank you for taking this topic on. You can (laughs) listen to more and listen to more of Liz, of course, but listen to more about the fillers and all the things. I love your podcast. It's called Liz Talks Podcast. So you can go search for it right now. Um, You you just talk about a bunch of random things, just kind of like we did today. And it's so helpful. And it's great to connect with another mom, but also just somebody, an intelligent human being in this community, which is, I don't know, what is this community now? It's not the paleo community. Holistic health, surviving. We got to come up with a name for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll work on that marketing. Yeah. <laughs> um, your websites are realfoodliz.com. Athleticmom.com is where you will find her new athletic mom program, which is done with the help of her trainers, as she's mentioned. And um, it's amazing. And then we'll link to your book, Eat the Oaks, too, in the show notes. Anything else? 
No, thank you so much, friend. This has been really fun. Yeah, this has been a great time. It's nice when I get to have a, a, an easy podcast interview and I'm like, oh, I'm just talking to Liz. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, thanks guys for being here. Go listen to Liz Talks and we'll link to everything else in the show notes. You can find more from her at, at athleticmom.com, more from me at coconutsandcutabells.com. Thanks so much for being here. We will talk to you next week.